Girl, this one's about a boy. And Keith curses. It's the big Keith <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> How's, um, I think my voice is okay. Yeah, your voice sounds good. I think my voice is going to go for this one. Is that a threat? Is that a competition? Is that a... <laughs> I'm screaming louder than you scream. <laughs> so you can win. You can win that one. Um, you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon over, I don't know, how many do you think? Close to 300. 300 ad-free close bonus to, episodes. Close, close to, close to. All right, close to. Well, yeah, we're not going to give you a definite answer on this. Because it changes all the time. And down. we don't know when you're going to find this. It's you might true. find this a year from now. Yeah, that's true. Podcasts <laughs> live in a vacuum, for better or worse. But you guys, it's where we do this series. It's where we do the episode-by-episode episode stuff. So Tiger King, Making a Murderer, Lorena, the Menendez Murders, Lacey Peterson. The Jinx, Heaven's Gate. Uh, Gacy. Gacy. Gacy, the John Wayne Gacy thing from Peacock. This is a robbery, murder among the Mormons, yes. Sophie. Yes. So much. So many things, you guys. Also, ad-free versions of these episodes, after parties, you get first access to our live show stuff, our yeah. merch, yeah. all the good stuff. It's really great. Everyone's invited. So Everyone's if invited. you are so inclined, please come join yes. us. And if not, that's okay, too. Also, join our Facebook group, you guys. Over 40,000 people in there, our True Crime Obsessed podcast discussion group. Come meet your True Crime best friends. Yeah. Memes about bears, just bearing. <laughs> memes about googing. Everyone speaks your language in there, is it's what I'm true. trying to say. Girl, tell me something funny that happened to you this week. Fiona and Pete hung out again. They're best of oh, friends. wait. Is Pete the gay? One. No, that was Alfie. He passed. Oh, up in the sweet rainbow doggy heaven in the sky. Yeah, drinking a little doggy style. <laughs> drinking a little doggy martini. <laughs> for, which is water. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just water. And, and vodka in heaven. Dogs can drink vodka in heaven. That's well, fine. in heaven, everyone can have vodka. <laughs> That's why it's so great up there. <laughs> you guys. Girl, this week we're talking about Dateline. It's called In a Lonely Place. You know, there are some like real classic Datelines and yeah. you know it's classic if the description says in this classic Dateline episode. <laughs> so they know it, we know it, the listeners know it. Also, one of the producers is named Susan Simpson in this. No way! It's yeah. not our Susan Simpson, but hi. <laughs> hey, girl. Again and again, he rode them as if they were his waves. As if the sea could wash away the trouble. That threatened to sink him. Chris Smith was the dude, the charismatic, carefree, creative one, whose talent would surely make him rich. He was, what would you call it, the beautiful dreamer. Out here on his own, going his own way like always. No idea what was waiting for him. So, uh, you know, as I said in the cold open, this one's about a boy. They're never about boys. Yeah, boys are usually the bad guys. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it still that remains the case in this one. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Keith gets real mad, and then I said, ooh, surfing. <laughs> yeah, so Keith is like all over the place in this one. He really is, because before we even learned the, the name of the victim here, Keith says, why him of all people? He was the dude. Well, because he's trying to do like Lebowski, like yes. the dude. But also, this is one of those datelines where it's like an update of another story they've done. Because Dateline oh. does that a couple times. They What's have the like update. I'm confused. They've already they've already done this story. Yeah, you know they have like six episodes on Mommy Doomsday. They uh-huh, do it. They do it like uh-huh, once a uh-huh. year. This is a follow up because it's a more like concise telling of the story. And Keith sits down with the guy. Oh. So that interview uh, that we'll get to is new. Is like brand new. Oh wow. Yeah. So this is like a retelling. So the guy's name, the guy at the center of the story here, his name is Chris Smith. But every time Keith says it, it sounds like Christmas. Chris Smith grew up on California's central coast. Because he loves Christmas. <laughs> As we've established, he loves Christmas. But he's 
he refers to him, he goes, he was, what would you call it? A beautiful dreamer. He does this thing that's his version of like, uh, how do you say, right. like that European <laughs> yes, people, yes. Uh, how do you say? I feel like Keith is a little in love with Christmas. He's in love with Christmas. Chris- and he's in love with Chris, Chris Smith. Smith. <laughs> Which is Mike's uncle's name, Chris no Smith. No way. So it was very bizarre to hear. Oh my God. Chris so Chris Smith is our victim. He's a surfer. We're here with his entire family, basically. Yes. His parents, Steve and Debbie, brother Paul. They are super rich, privileged people, these and people. Christians. And Christians. Yeah. But they lived on a private sea lake. What is a sea oh, lake? Who knows? They grew up in the central coast of mm-hmm. California in a town called Watsonville. Keith goes, We lived on a private ski lake called Kelly Lake, so. Not bad. Yeah, we were very fortunate. For- Not bad. About the private sea lake. <laughs> yeah, I know. The dad was a cop and then a firefighter. The mom was a teacher. And then Keith says, Home was a kind of boys eaten. Not for all boys, Keith. Some no. of us would have stuck out like a sore thumb in that family. And some women fucking love jet skiing. Like people, totally. like yeah, not yeah, just yeah, yeah, like yeah. cishet dudes like to be on a fucking jet ski. Right. I don't, but right. other people do. <laughs> but this is the type of family, like they have Live, Laugh, Love written in script somewhere in their kitchen. <laughs> They have like dream <laughs> over the bathroom. They have together uh-huh. in the hallway. In this house, we always tell the truth. We love one another. We hug. Do you know? My a sister house has that. <laughs> My sister literally has that like in her. You're saying those with a lot of confidence and determination. Have you seen the ones? I get people send this to me all the time. It says like in this house, Bigfoot is real. Oh, we yes. love Bigfoot. We, we believe, believe in, in Bigfoot. We make love to Bigfoot. Oh. <laughs> No. This one is very Bigfoot centric. Well, th- I'm telling you, Live, Laugh, Love is at, at least the kitchen. Maybe the guest bath. Anyway, they were rich. They're yeah, jet they skis, a boat, rich. whatever. They and all they love, love the beach. You know, they, they have their lake. They also live near the beach. They love to go surfing. And like, we learn about Chris. Chris, a little quirky, talented and intense, part surfer dude, part do-gooder, even as a teenager, always eager to help those in need. He, like, would always give his shit away. Like, he gave his bike away to some kid. He gave his jacket to a girl who... I'm like, it's okay to keep your stuff. He would give people the clothes off his back. But you know he has a full closet, like, share and clueless. Totally. Like, he seemed pretty aware of his upbringing where he's like, I don't need a second, like, suede jacket. I can give that away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Paul, the brother who's with us, he went to university where he meets a woman named Leah. And Leah's here. And I, I really loved what she said. She said, I would say that... I didn't understand Paul until I met Chris. And then it was like two puzzle pieces coming together. They were two puzzle pieces coming together. And I thought that was such a sweet thing to say about like your sibling. Yeah. And Keith is talking to the parents, the brother and Leah, the sister-in-law all together. Yeah. So they are very family oriented. You could tell even in this interview because they're all together sitting with Keith. Yeah. And they say that Chris was a natural entrepreneur. He got into the tech world through advertising. He invested in gold. They really want us to know about these like gold coins he invested in. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to them. But yeah. he lived in a cushy condo. He drove a BMW. Well, and hang on a second. the brother. Yeah. Because we got. are you going to tell the story am I going to tell it? You can tell it because you've claimed her. (laughs) Paul tells us a story that when his brother buys a BMW and a condo in Malibu, Paul says, yeah, he was excited. I remember being with him and in his uh, BMW listening to Madonna with the top down going through Wilshire, Wilshire Boulevard. And I remember being with him in his BMW listening to Madonna with, with, the the, top down. with the top down on Wilshire Boulevard. And I said, were you guys headed to West Hollywood? Is there anything you want to tell us about your brother? Let me tell you, I have a great story. In college, my friend Ted and I were at, we were just at the underage bars or whatever. Uh-huh. And Lucky Star was on and we were like dancing our faces off and over the music, like holding his beer, spilling it everywhere, dancing. He was like, Jillian, I 
fucking love Madonna. Wait, is he straight or gay? He's straight. He's married. Okay, that blows my point out of the water here because I'm like, no straight man just like puts Madonna. I can get it if you're in a car and you're in a sedan with the windows rolled up and none of your friends are going to know. Yeah. But in front of your brother with the top down in your Beamer, you're blasting the Immaculate Collection. Yeah, and Ted and I were a couple sheets in and we were dancing. <laughs> it was part of the, and like the DJ played her and we were like, oh, Lucky Star, we were having fun. This I, feels very much more deliberate. Yes. And the I Beamer. Was, I mean, like he's got like the CD and the fucking CD player there. I just have some questions for Chris. I just want to know what album it was, don't I you? I know. Immaculate Collection. No, it's no question. Be, right? Yeah. But I was very ready for us to find out that Chris was gay and just have that be part of the story. That's not what happened. Oh, no, that's not what happened. Sorry, girl. But Chris was making forty to $75,000 a month. Damn. Yeah, and he was super generous with his yes. money. He would say to his brother, like, where do you want to go? You pick the place. I'll pay for all of it. He was like, where do you want to go? You know, you pick. What do you want to do? And so I said, let's go for a surf trip. Let's go to Tahiti. And so he booked a 23-day vacation. We hopped around all these different islands in Tahiti, and it was definitely one of the best times of my life. Keith is very impressed by this. Not bad. <laughs> Tahiti. Oh, wow. That must have been wild. <laughs> So in 2009, Chris moves south of L.A. to Laguna Beach, and he teams up with a guy named Ed Shin. And we meet a woman named Christina Price. She was like the admin for the company that Ooh, Ed and Chris Christina, the T is scolding. <laughs> and she's got gallons I of know, it. I know, she does. Ed was actually very professional. Very calm, very poised, very professional, dressed very well. And Chris? He was very casual, dressed in board shorts very often, sweatshirts, would not be the uber professional person that uh, that Ed actually seemed to be very often. So Chris and Ed start this new, they call it an advertising company. It's called 800 Exchange. Yeah. It sounds like Entertainment 720. Uh, where dreams come to come true. You don't know exactly what it is. Like, it sounds like a scam. I know exactly what it is. They made and placed ads for debt consolidation, that sort of thing. The idea was to get viewers who saw the ads on TV interested enough to call an 800 number. And when they did, their information would be farmed out to companies around the country. So that like 40 to 70 grand a month is yeah. from people who are already in debt who need help. Correct. And that's where the money's that's coming from. That's where the money's from. coming from. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> I just wrote evil. Yeah, I mean, doesn't mean he should have been murdered, obviously. No, but no. <laughs> but Chris, you know, Christina tells us, look, Chris and Ed, they were the odd couple, could not have been more different. Chris yeah. was like single and fun, surfer, laid back, the hot one, clearly, totally. the creative <laughs> one. And Ed was like married into sports memorabilia, which of course I, just makes me think of OJ. I know. That's such a weird, I mean, I'm into memorabilia of my own. Sure. I just like sports memorabilia. Oh my God. And he's like stuffies, the numbers guy. Did I ever tell you that a listener once sent me the basketball card where you can see the, Menend the, the Menendez, Menendez brothers? brothers? I have it here in the office. Oh my God, amazing. I know. Somebody actually bought it and sent it to me. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And they were both devout Christians, to which I say, then how'd we end up on Dateline? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be a devout Christian, then be it. Yeah. Don't fake the devout Christianness nope. and then murder someone. Exactly. Or, or, yeah. just don't murder. Exactly. Right? You knew where that was going. So, in 2010, Chris falls in love with a girlfriend whose name we don't get. And she's not here with us, but he's telling his whole family, like, maybe she's the one. Like, it's moving really fast. He really loves her. She really loves him. Maybe he's the one. Oh, we should also mention that Brother Paul is now involved in the business. Yes. Because every yeah. th business was booming. Everything was amazing. They were working together. Loved the family time. Loved the work time. Also, a little 
separation goes a long way. Take a break from the people you love, okay? I'm going to say, like, we go to a commercial, we come back, and they do this, like, thing where they give us this nugget of information that's not really part of the story. Mm. But they say that Chris used to scorn the moo or the moo cow in reference to people who, like, just get up and go to work and, like, do their jobs every day. Chris Smith used to scorn what he called the moo, the masses of people who plod through life like cattle, following the crowd, bowing to the man. Masses, man. <laughs> people go through life like cattle, man. And I'm like, Chris, some people just have to have jobs. It's a very white privilege. We owned a lake and had 10 jet skis approach to say everyone should just do their dream. Yeah, he didn't like believe in working all the time. Yeah. And that must be nice. That must be nice, Chris. And it's like, oh, you know, he didn't want to be sitting in a chair at, at a computer all day. And it's like, some people love their job. And some people have no choice. And some, some people, people have, have to no scrub toilets for a living because that's just a fucking job they have to have. And it's like, well, not everyone can take money from people already in debt. I mean, honestly. Ugh. So we learned that Chris is very stressed out because even though he's like been successful with his business it's like a prison of his own making as they say. Yeah like he loves that he can take 30 people to Tahiti which is a really amazing thing yes. to do but he doesn't really love that he has to sit at a desk to make that happen. No so like in June 2010 Chris just fucking takes off. Well yeah because Paul what happens is. This is insane. Paul the brother and his wife Leah who are both here and their kids come back from a vacation. Yeah. Chris was supposed to pick them up at the airport. He doesn't show. Say that word again. At the airport. Okay. I feel like we've been through this before. I feel like I've heard you say aeroport before. Oh, probably. <laughs> That's probably how you say it. Like A-E-R-O-P-O-R-T. The airport. <laughs> airport. <laughs> Is that right? I suddenly feel like all eyes are on me and I feel insane at the airport. Great. Right? Yes. That is how you say that word. Library. <laughs> So Chris was supposed to pick them up from the airport. He doesn't show. No one ever showed up. Didn't call? Nothing. Nothing. I was irritated. It was a long flight with kids and then nothing. Yeah. So we just got a taxi and went home. I was, you know, a little bit frustrated, but it's your brother and there had to have been a good explanation, so. Leah goes, I was irritated. And she, yeah, of I course mean, who she is. wouldn't be? She was like, I had a long flight with those goddamn kids. I know. A long I, vacation with those kids. It's not a vacation. Right. <laughs> she just took her kids somewhere so they could be handfuls and she could not have a good night's sleep in a bed that's not hers. Right. It's fun. Pay, like, for overpriced food mm -hmm. while the kids are screaming and throwing. I'm yes. sure her kids are lovely, but kids can be nightmares, especially on vacation. So... She's like, I just wanted to like sit yeah. in the back and just like head home and be done with this goddamn vacation. Totally. You and know, she's got that like bottle and a half of Chardonnay in the fridge she's been dreaming about all day. Oh, I mean, she just, it's just, it's right there. It's, it's right just, there. Chris, you but, had one job. Yeah. And the next day, Paul talks to Ed, the co founder of the business. And like, Ed tells him, oh, yeah, girl, what are you talking about? Chris sold all of his shares in the company and just fucking took off. And didn't tell his brother, who's also part of the business. Yeah. And also didn't call his parents to say, like, I'm going on vacation. Like, it's, I'm like, is it Anyone calling him, it's all very weird. Funny you should mention the parents, because that very day, yeah. the parents get an email from Chris. I'm going on vacation. Probably three-week trip to Galapagos Islands in Costa Rica. I'll let you know for sures by Friday. I'll let you know, like, more details for sures. For sures, you guys. Yes, by Friday. <laughs> And I'm like, no one calls him to be like, I don't know. For me, there's a lot of red flags. When somebody like makes big life decisions and does it all by email, like, please, somebody call that person. And it's not like I'm. you can do the three-week trip without selling your whole part of the business because he's done it before in Tahiti. Yeah. We knew that. Yeah. But the family's like, yeah, it was super sudden, but it honestly wasn't all that surprising. Like, even Leah's like, I thought he finally did it. 
he really did it. He finally just bailed. Yeah, it's just like the thing is like bail, that's fine. Just like let people know and maybe give like a week's notice at your job. I don't know. To me, like it's all very sudden and it's weird that no one is like following up with him. Right. And so also, like- he had been saying forever that he was eventually going to give it all up and go be a bartender on the beach somewhere, to which I wanted to let everybody fucking know. That's not that fun of a job. It's not fun I at did all. that job for 12 fucking years. You did it for like eight. Yep. It is not a fun job, you guys. If you are sitting in an office listening to this right now and you have dreams of giving it all up and being a bartender somewhere, it's not that great. Move on to a different fantasy. And if you wanted, like I didn't bartend on the beach, yeah. but I can't imagine you're making a lot of money. You're not making a lot of money. That's actually worth like, And the beach? Everywhere. Oh, the beach <laughs> sucks. But for me, my thing is like when I've been in Mexico and I'm like staring at the beach, I'm like, if I'm going to be at the beach, I want to be at the beach. Be at the I don't want to be working at the bar at the beach. Right. No. no. Relieve yourselves of that fantasy. It's not a It's not a good one. Yeah. And if you love being a bartender, that's great. Oh my God. I mean, thank God you're a yeah, hero. You are a, where am I without you? And B, like, I, I just know that it's like the hardest job because I did it for 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all the respect in the world. One of a lot of hard jobs. Yes. Totally. But then remember the girlfriend he was so super in love with? But then they learned that Chris's break wasn't only from all the moos of the world. It was from his girlfriend too. He dumped her by text. So much for the chill surfer dude. So much for that uh, chill surfer dude. You can hear <laughs> Keith rolling his eyes. Yeah. Where it's like, this doesn't really sound like the chill laid back dude. That's not what this is. And she's not here, but we hear of, like throughout the episode about her. Like she was devastated by this. Like Devastated. Like, can you imagine you like love somebody so much you're going to maybe marry them? And, and you're then like, you're starting to already be part of their family. Yeah. Like she was going, like hanging out with the family all the time. And like then via text, like bye, I'm, I'm going off to the Galapagos to hang out with the tortoises. And then more than that, he's... He sends his brother Paul a picture of his new, quote, traveling companion, a Playboy playmate named Tiffany Taylor. And the mom is like, that's just fucking weird. He never, like, the words Playboy playmate were never even part of his vocabulary. Yeah. And he had this, like, beautiful girlfriend he loved. Like, there's just, like, I need to get away for three weeks, and then there's this. And, of course, the mom, because moms always know, from the beginning, the mom's like, I don't like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, he's like, oh, hey, so me and Tiff, we're just, like, sailing away. There's no internet, but here's an email (laughs) this is something he says all the time I get no phone calls no service no internet but here are 15 emails a day and email is the only way he's communicating with his family so he's like saying I can email sporadically but I can't ever call there's no self-service and I'm can I just say it out loud how is anyone falling for this right how is anyone believing this it doesn't make any fucking sense we just did it then the vacation keeps getting extended by July Chris's three-week holiday had turned into a month he was supposed to come home after visiting the Galapagos, and now he was extending his voyage. The emails continued to come in, and he would go from one place to another. Oh, I'm going here now. I'm going to the tip of Chile. And then on to Argentina. By the way, going to the tip of Chile is something I would really love to do someday. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was like looking at the map, and I was like, I'd like to do that. That seems cool. Okay. Yeah. I hope you have a great time. <laughs> Send me a postcard. And I mean that sincerely. So and tip your bartenders really well. You feel like you have to say that to me? No. Okay. <laughs> So Chris left in June. It is now August. Yeah. And Steve, his dad, used to be a cop. Yes. So this is not like the scorned episode necessarily because Steve, the cop, tries to set a trap immediately. And he wants to see if this is really Chris sending those emails. So in August, Steve typed out a strange brief email to this Chris. What lake we used to live on, what type of boat do we used to drive, stuff like that. Questions only his son would know the answers to. So he's asking, 
just these privileged like, what was the name of your first jet ski? Right. What was the name? <laughs> and so, like, we don't really get a lot of details, but the answers come back, and everyone's happy with these answers. And it's like, again, I say, if you have to ask the question, maybe do a little more digging. Like, I want your cop instincts to be a little bit more, like, I, I don't know, a little more Spidey-sensey. Like, yeah, because Keith's like, and this was very comforting to everyone, and I'm like, was it? I, know. I would still be upset. <laughs> like, I would still be... Yeah, and I think there's a lot of denial. Like, the dad even says he steals Keith's word for the episode. He goes, it'd be diabolical enough to, to research that information yeah. to be able to come back and give the answers to it. Yeah, I mean, of course I believed him. It would have been diabolical to do research and come back with that answer. Like, I think the family mostly wants to believe that everything is fine, yeah. and so they're not, like, looking too hard. But it's just like, if it were me, I don't know what you do when you realize that, like, your adult child is potentially in danger somewhere else in the world. Like, I don't even know who you call in that situation, yeah. but I'd start to figure it out. He had to pay Keith, like, 17 cents for using the word diabolical. Diabolical. Keith was like, oh. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> we have a contract on that, right? He signed the paperwork? Okay, great. That'll be 17 cents, Steve. <laughs> He's got to put 17 cents in the diabolical He has jar. a little note, like, <laughs> that he just, like, ticks it off. Mm. All right, that's one, Steve. You have three? You have three. You can use this whole episode. You use one. Use them wisely. <laughs> Okay. So it's October 2010, four months after Chris left. Ed Shin, his business partner, has an idea. Yeah, he wants to make the business more profitable, but he wants to do it by like a team building trip to Vegas. Okay. He's like, let's meet an investor. <laughs> he takes everyone from the office, including Paul, the brother, yeah. and Christina with the T. Christina's like, I'm the admin. I thought there was no chance I was going to Vegas. No, girl. Ed was like, everyone, you get to Vegas and you get to go to Vegas. Christina. <laughs> oh, it just came to me. And Christina's like, I didn't realize we were so big time, girl. Like, yeah. we were renting, like, space in a strip mall, and yeah. now we're in Vegas. And she's like, Ed really did it up. And Christina tells us about a guy. You guys. Named Johnny Vegas. Johnny Vegas, who's referred to as a local fixer. His specialty? Hiring guests for events. He invited girls? Yeah, he would hire. Sounds nice, huh? His playmates to, to join these dinners that we would have with investors and our clients. Ed loves it. Yeah. And so, like, Ed needs Johnny Vegas to plan the trip. Yeah. It's supposed to be a business trip, by the way. Yeah. It is so clearly not, because he's hiring playmates yeah. to join the dinners to impress investors. I'm like, what kind of investors do you want? To which I said, Ed, if you're the fucking killer here, girl, assuming that Chris is dead, we don't know yet, like, this is not a very well-thought-out plan. Because if you remember, Chris, who's, like, absconded to South America, is on a trip with a fucking playmate. Yeah, and Tiffany Taylor, like, that's not a lie. I googled it. Like, Tiffany yeah. Taylor actually is a Playboy playmate. Yeah. Like, she's a real person that Chris sent this photo of. Well, get ready, because we're well, about to meet her. <laughs> right. So, the, he's hiring these playmates. One of them was actually Tiffany Taylor. Like, who comes to this dinner, and so Paul sees Tiffany Taylor from across the room. He's a beeline. Yeah, he's like... And I sat right next to her, because I was so excited to talk to her and yeah. figure out, you know, where have you been with my brother? Where's my brother? How was it? How was the Galapagos Islands? And I asked her that, and she just looked at me like I was crazy. It was a weird feeling. How are the Galapagos Islands? How are yeah. the tortoises? Do they see your future? What's going on? <laughs> Tiffany Taylor is like, girl, what are you talking Security. about? Security. Can you imagine you're Tiffany Taylor and some creepy guy comes up to you and starts screaming about knowing things about you that aren't real? And the tortoises? I know. This probably happens to her every day. Every day. Yeah. So she's like, um, hey, yeah, mm, that's, oh, what do you want oh, me to sign? Yeah, no, you're so cute. <laughs> oh. She's yawning. And he's like, also, where's my fucking brother? Yeah. So Tiffany's, again, super creeped out. Paul, to me, this is like a huge thing. This yes. is like a major fucking red flag. Paul Paul feels 
crazy. Yeah. Ed is like, Paul, no, that's a different Tiffany Taylor. Yeah. Even though she looks exactly like the photo Chris sent. Like, she's basically wearing the same fucking dress. And again, who falls for this? Paul, what are you doing? And Paul, while I appreciate the Hamlet reference. <laughs> what did you think after that? Something's rotten in Denmark. You know, something doesn't make sense. Well, as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, that's a thing they say, like, after, because he, he puts his head down in shame after he says it. Yeah, that's also <laughs> written in script in the kitchen. Totally. It's a big kitchen. Totally. <laughs> they got a big island in there. Yeah, there's chef plenty. stove, there's, absolutely. Yeah, backsplash for yeah. days. <laughs> there's plenty of room for script sayings. And Paul is just saying, like, I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what. And even if I did, what would I do about it? I don't know, Paul. Call the police or something. Yeah. yeah. And so as they're like hemming and hawing about like whatever shall we do, the emails keep coming. Chris is all over the world. He's yeah. in India. He's in Africa. He's also, as Keith says, in turmoil. He's really angry. <laughs> he's angry. He's mad at the world. Yeah. He's talking about heavy drug use. He's talking about suicide. They went from, I just need space. Yeah. I hate the moo cow life. Right. To this really <laughs> totally. like dark, self-medicating, I want to end it all conversation. And he's like blaming his parents for his shitty childhood. And the dad looks straight at the camera and he's like, how dare you? Sick at your stomach. He's like, what is he? I thought it provided a really good childhood for them. Sure. Like that. Just what was he angry about? I gave you a beautiful child. You got a jet ski when you were 10 and another one when you were 13. So all through the fall of 2010, Chris is on edge. And then December, we're told, he pulls himself out of the funk. He tells Paul he wants to start a new software business. And he wants Paul to meet him in Costa Rica. And it's been he's been gone for six months now. Yeah. So he's like, meet me in February. We can surf and talk about it, right? And Paul says, you know, he mentioned a place in Costa Rica that only he and I had ever talked about. So it seemed legit. Yeah. So the thing is, though, Chris is still in Africa right now. Yeah. It's December. So he's like, I'll meet you in Costa Rica in two months. But before that, I need to go on this like super shady, incredibly dangerous trip for this business deal. He literally is saying he's going to backpack through the Congo. I'm headed back up through the Congo. I found a dealer in Rwanda that will pay 30% markup on cruise. Only out here is this like real currency. They're called Krugerrands. He calls them Krugs. Oh my God. <laughs> they're, so they're South African coins. They don't actually have any real value. I googled. Okay. But this doesn't make any sense at all. You know what? Unless it's like if all these emails are fake and somebody is sending him somewhere to die, it's actually a really fucking brilliant If he's like plan. on some wild goose chase yeah. and he just ends up in the fucking Congo. Yeah. And it's like, with, oh, with like pockets able... full of gold. Totally. And we're never, we will never find his body because that's just how it is. And the parents are starting to like totally freak out because they don't know if this is real or not. But if it is, they know he's in a ton of danger. And, they... some, and the mom is like, I've been saying this for months, but fine. Right. Yeah, exactly. And they stop hearing from him. The mom is getting on Google Earth to try to Hi. Google Earth Africa. I would go down on Google Earth to every kind of video that they had that might have been around to see if there's a glimpse of him walking around. You know, you're just desperate. They don't update those photos that often. No, it's not like a real time thing. But these people are like, they've been sitting on it for six months and now they're just instantly desperate. Like they are finally starting to acknowledge the things that they never wanted to acknowledge. Yeah. And so at the nine month mark, the dad, Steve, decides it's time for him to start his own investigation. Because the emails stop after the shady thing in Rwanda. So because he's the like, idea I'm, is that like, like, he died in the Congo. Like, right. he was in a, a, yeah, he died in the Congo. Selling the Krugs. Right. <laughs> and so that's, like, at the six-month mark. So by the nine-month mark, Steve, the dad and ex-cop, he's like, all right, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And so he does the smart thing that they should have done fucking nine months ago. He contacts the U.S. Department of State, and he's like, we just need to know where he used his passport last, and that's where we'll be able to find it. And him. it's a really specific, like, faction of it. It's the U.S. Department of State missing persons overseas. Yes. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm happy to know that that exists. Seriously. Yeah. I was like, that's a relief. Like, 
I hate that it has to exist, but wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, and like if they had called nine months ago, they would have found out, you guys, he never, Chris never left the country. He's never used his passport to leave the country. Or like since he supposedly left. Right. So like shocking. Here we are where we all knew what was happening. Like this has all been a big lie. So Steve hears this. He hangs up the phone. He gets in his car. Yeah. He's in Oregon right now. Yeah. And he drives down to Laguna Beach to do this his goddamn self. Because he's going to go meet with Ed, the business partner, to be like, what the fuck is going on? Why, like, Ed, you told me he went to Costa Rica, and Ed's like... And he related to me that Chris had gotten a false passport. He used a false passport. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's what Ed said. Mm-hmm. Chris got a fake passport, left the country. He used a fake passport because he just really didn't want you guys to find Did him. Did I not mention that? <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so for, sorry. Oh, so for nine months you thought, oh, oh, God. Oh, my bad. That's the one bad thing I've done in this whole thing <laughs> is not tell you about the fake passport. So Steve goes to the, like, the Laguna Police Department and files a missing persons report, which at first they won't take, but then they do. Yeah, the Laguna Beach PD are like, oh, God, we don't want to. No. We'd rather, like, just let rich kids get drunk and stuff. Don't. <laughs> we don't want to do like any of the no, work. So they're that. like, Steve, go. Poor Steve listening to this. Or Steve is going to be I hearing know. us scream. He's like, oh, he's like sh- shaking every time. You're like, Steve. He's like, Steve. oh, God. Oh, God. What now? Oh God. What does he need now? <laughs> so the Laguna Beach PD is like, can you just file it in Bend, Oregon? Like, we don't want to. But eventually they do take it. And they're mm-hmm. like, all right, let's look into like the business partner. So they bring in Ed Shin for an interview. And it's taped and we see it. Yeah. So Ed is talking up the company. Oh, we were making millions. Everything was great. But, you know, the thing is by, oh, what was it? I guess so... 2010? Yeah. <laughs> Chris was talking about moving to Costa Rica, taking the money and running to go surfing. And it's like, oh, that's interesting because Chris went missing in 2010. Yeah. So that's like. Interesting. That's that You know, that really makes sense, Ed, because yeah. you're telling us he wanted to disappear and then he did. Right. Great. Great. Cool, cool, cool. And Ed is saying that they negotiated a buyout. Ed said he'd pay Chris 250000 in gold coins and he'd wire him another 250000 in monthly installments. And if they ever sold the company, Ed would wire Chris another 500000 Truly a million dollar payout. He's also saying, like, another thing that you should know about Chris, by the way, he was a hopeless alcoholic. Yeah. He would drink every single night, to which I was like, Ed, let's not be so judgmental. Like, Ed, get Come a on. grip. And also, like, oh, he was also, like, obsessed. This is Ed talking about Chris. Yeah. He was obsessed with the economic downfall of the United States, and he was, like, a conspiracy theorist. And, and a drug addict. He was doing cocaine and mescaline for creativity. He was snorting Lunesta, which are sleeping pills. That, I mean, it's just bananas. He would go on benders, and he's like, yeah, right before this trip that he went on to Costa Rica, he was really really coming apart at the seams. Do you think that's related in some way? And this is really important. So Ed says on June 4th, he came into the office and Chris had pulled an all-nighter. The place smelled like piss and vomit. I said, what were you doing? He's like, well, I was writing scripts all night. I was like, do you know you, I mean, do you know you trashed the office? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, he had completely blacked out. And he had broken bottles, like he broke a couple bottles of wine. He says the entire office smelled like piss and vomit. Chris had trashed the place and had, quote, spilled a bottle of wine. What color is wine, I ask you? Red or white. Well, I'm imagining in this case it was a bottle of red wine. Yes. And, you know, Chris, like, pissed on the floor, he says. I hate that term. He threw up everywhere. There were broken bottles. But what's interesting, remember Christina with all the tea? She's like, it was so weird because by the time I got into work, everything was cleaned up. I guess Ed got one of those companies. They in and out in an hour and every, like, this didn't happen. The place really stunk, by the way. It smells horrible. The carpets are wet. Christina Grice saw the place when she came back to work. It was cleaned up by then, except for the stain outside of Chris's office. We thought maybe Chris got too crazy one night and vomited on the carpet right by his office. And it was 
all cleaned up except for one stain. That's out of Chris's office. Weird. And Christina was like, I assume it was vomit because that's what I was told. So like, and it stunk. And like, of course, Ed is saying Chris trashed the place and she just believes. And she's like, wow, like this cleaning company really cleaned up fast. This is amazing. (laughs) And Keith is like, the man was a mess. (laughs) So Ed tells the story that like he cleans Chris up from that bender, takes him to Vegas for the weekend to decompress and like finalize the deal and say goodbye. And then on Monday, June 7th, he says he goes by Chris's apartment with the separation agreement. Chris signs it and then that's it. That's the last time anyone sees Chris. Right. And Ed is a fucking bad friend because if Chris was in such a bad place, you don't take that person to Vegas. No. Ed's a bad friend in this situation to have this idea of like, let's fucking go to Vegas, man, and decompress and party and just like- We'll get Johnny Vegas to get the playmates or whatever. So we're back to the police interview with Ed and they're like, why did he use a fake passport? And he says he just didn't want to be found. And he says, my guy, Johnny Vegas, he's the one who like did the deal to get the fake passport for Chris. And I was with Chris in LA when he picked up his fake passport. So I know for sure that he had it and he used it. Right. You know, this police interview ends with me feeling like the- Cops believe Ed. Yes. You know? They're like, that's excellent information. And they information. feel kind of bad for him that his, like, business is falling apart. So, yeah. Like, Ed is not a person of interest at this point. Because Ed's like, I'll do whatever you want. And the cops were like, we'd give Ed homework. And he'd come back with emails and documents. Totally. Like, yeah. okay, great. Cops can't seem to find Chris. Right. Enter Joe DeLue, ex-cop and private eye. And, like, chill guy. He's very calm. Yeah. So, Joe DeLue's sitting at work. Yeah. Sitting at his desk. <laughs> He's got a storefront. Joe's landlord walks into his office one day. And he yeah. goes, Joe, you got to help me. A uh, property manager came came into our office, they realized we're an investigative company, and asked us if we do skip tracing work, locating people. We said, sure. It turned out the 800 exchange office was, or at least had been, practically next door to Deleu's office. A couple of months before, the whole company left for parts unknown and left behind a bundle of unpaid rent. See that empty office space right next door to you? Yeah. They bailed. There's months of unpaid rent. You guys, this is Ed and Chris's company. So this 800 pro- Exchange. This yeah. is Entertainment 720. Right. And they're gone. Like, right. Chris went to Costa Rica and Ed just completely bailed and left behind, like, months and months of unpaid rent. And the landlord was pissed about it and then realizes, a private eye just moved in. Why don't I ask him to help me? And he does. So yeah. Joe is looking into 800 Exchange about this unpaid rent. He's Googling. He's looking for assets. Joe finds them in two seconds flat. <laughs> he's like, oh, they're, like, three miles away at another office park gets in his car goes and the landlord's like hold on before you go here's something that might be helpful laguna beach police detectives have been looking for 800 exchange too we asked why he says well chris smith is missing then we learned that chris was bought out of his share of the company took his you know earnings and just sailed around the world. It's all making sense to him in 30 seconds. And like all the stuff that took nine months to make sense to the cops and family makes sense to Joe the PI in like five seconds. Yeah, he sees 10 moves ahead. Totally. And so Joe's like, all right, I need to know as much about this as possible. So he calls Steve the dad to ask about Chris. Steve the dad is saying, we haven't heard from our son in nine months. The only way he communicates is through emails. And so Joe the PI is like, girl, can I see those emails? And like all of the stuff that the family overlooked, when I read you the text of this email, it's going to blow your mind, dear listener. Because Joe is like, these emails are kind of like a travel log. Yeah. And so here's text from an actual email from quote Chris. It says, I can't call you from Mumbai, but do you think we can meet in your hometown in Austria sometime in January? 
for some reason, that does not raise red flags for the dad. But Joe, the PI, immediately sees it for what it is. He's like, your hometown, like that, that's not how you'd speak to your father. No. He's like, he's like, clearly whoever is writing this email is trying to give information to prove that they actually are Chris. Right. You know? And remember those questions that the dad asked to yes. prove it was Chris? It was two questions. It was, what was the name of the lake and what kind of boat did you use to ski behind? Ugh, the privilege. The privilege of it all. And Chris had written back and given the name of the lake, but had never answered the ski question. But the family was so relieved by these answers because they I'm needed saying. to be. They needed to be because then the PI finds an email from Chris to Chris's brother, Paul. What was the model of our boat that we grew up riding on? And Paul replied back. And then I thought... This is it. He didn't know the answer. Like he's trying to get the answer to the dad's question. And no one connected when the dad was like, here are the two questions I answered. I asked him. He only answered one, but I'm happy. Right. Paul wasn't like, well, he asked me about the second question. Totally. And then didn't even respond to the question. I mean, I understand that the family is grieving and they're sad and whatever, but it doesn't seem like they looked very hard. I know. They just couldn't, they couldn't get there. Like yeah. they just didn't want to see it. And so this obviously confirms that this is not Chris, right? right? So Joe, the PI is like, if not Chris, who is it? This is how we go to commercial. Keith goes, Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Keith. <laughs> Keith. So Joe starts sniffing around the old office, the one well, they owe all the rent on. He wants to go in and actually see the office where Chris had last worked. And so Joe, the PI, sees right outside of Chris's old office, there's a stain that's still on the carpet. And he's, he can see that there's like a powdery white substance that's like a powerful cleaner that had been tried to been used to clean it up. It's sulfur. And so Keith is like, I've done 5,000 episodes of Dateline. Right. Joe, I know that stain. It's a salt stain. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, he's yeah. looking at the camera like, I knew it. Joe didn't have to tell me what it was. I, Joe, I like you, but like, I'm Keith. I know what kind of stain this is. But then Joe also sees, like, blood spatter on the fucking light switch. And the door frame. Yeah. Like, up on the door frame. So, let me put this together. There's a bloody stain outside of Chris's office, and blood spatter on the roof, on the tile, on the seat, like, everywhere. Obviously, something bad happened to Chris here. So, Joe, the PI, calls the cops. Yes. (laughs) He's had enough. Yeah. So, they send these texts over to take a nice, long look at the office. They find more blood in the ceiling tiles, some behind molding. I know. That's crazy. It's just like, Ed, you're going to try to clean up the crime? I'm seeing her not, girl. Right, and there are blood stains Jesus. under the carpet, like really, really big yeah. blood stains. And they test positive for human blood. They get DNA from the dad and Paul. It's Chris's blood. Right. And now Chris has been missing for over a year. Yeah. Or traveling for over a year. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Communicating only by email, like definitely out there with a Playboy bunny. Right. And the cops are like, I'm sorry, Chris is dead. Like he, they're dead. He's dead. And the family flat out refuses to accept it. Yeah. I mean, and this is why, like, when it's so glaringly obvious in the emails to me and you, it's not to them. Like they it's just, not. they could not accept it, which is so sad because they could have solved this so much sooner. I know. I know. So remember Chris's girlfriend that he dumped via text? Yeah. The cops go to talk to her. Oh my God, you guys. Without <laughs> telling her that Chris is dead. Yeah. They just want an honest answer to the question. What'd you think of Chris? I- <laughs> Keith says, The police interview was an opportunity for Chris's girlfriend to unload on her ex. And did she ever? And did, did she ever? He and remember they were hanging Who out wouldn't? with. Of course, I mean I would do the same thing. Dumped via text when they were talking about marriage. She was yeah. in with the family. She was like part of the family already, hanging out, jet skiing every day. Like yeah. yes, this is devastating for her. And she's like, I was devastated, Keith. But like over the course of this year, I would hope that she like understands that it's not her fault. And so she's looking at him and she tells him he was paranoid, he was volatile, he was erratic. Like I, and I don't know what the fuck. Like she's still mad. She's still mad. Of course. So now we meet a guy named Kenny Craig. 
Kraft. Oh, my God. Kenny Kraft shows up, like, the day Chris goes missing. Nothing. I'm just here for a job. Nothing. Ed's like, uh, okay. Ed gives him a job yeah. immediately. Also, Kenny basically starts living Chris's life. He moves into Chris's apartment days after Chris goes missing. Who says he's not coming back, Ed? Also, it's Laguna Beach, and it's, like, very expensive. This guy who literally just does errands for Ed, like, that's his job, can suddenly afford to live in Chris's fucking apartment? What? I mean, there's a lot of red flags, everybody! A lot of red flags. So the cops are like, let's look at this Ed Shin guy. Yeah. So we learn a little bit more about Ed Shin, right? Yeah, the business the partner. Yeah. yeah, like smart, accomplished, married, right out of college, four kids, a faithful churchgoer, to which I say again, then why are we here then on Dateline? Then why are we here, Ed? Why am I meeting you on Dateline, Ed? Right. <laughs> but we also on Dateline yeah. meet Joseph Gray. You guys, poor Joseph okay. Gray. <laughs> well, I don't know. Joseph Gray. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know what? I rescind the poor Joseph Gray. A poor Joseph Gray in a little bit, but I don't know. Yeah. So Joseph Gray <laughs> met Ed at like at a church social, right? Yeah, like Ed was really down on his luck. He was broke. He was trying to make money with like the sports memorabilia thing. I saw as Ed's life was falling apart and I was starting this new division of our company and I thought I would give him a lifeline and invite him to come on board. It was at his new job that Ed met Chris. Eventually, Ed and Chris made such a good team, they spun off, started their own company, 800 Exchange. Ed meets Chris yeah. at the job that Joe got him. That's how 800 Exchange Entertainment 720 was born. Because they, they leave this guy's company, they take clients with them, and Joe's pissed about it to this day. Yeah, Joe's pissed about it a lot more, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so the new investigators looking into Ed are like, this guy seems to have, like, secrets. He's a super high roller. He's traveling to Vegas on private fucking jets. And then he would go to Vegas and Christina tells us, like, the rooms, like, she would get picked up in a Rolls Royce to go, Christina, like... Christina, the admin. Right. And then, like, the room that Ed would get himself... I remember seeing Ed's room that he was staying in, just the most extravagant room. Two stories, a 24-hour butler, a massage room, pool room, multiple bedrooms, an elevator. It was, it was beyond what I had ever seen. The 24-hour butler situation, I do not understand. There's just always a person there to dress you if you need like, if you need it. Also, if you're in Vegas, what are you doing in your hotel room? I know. Like, why do you need, like, a massage? Like, I, I mean, I guess I, I get the Vegas. massage room. All of this is so fucking ridiculous. Nobody needs any of this stuff. Ridiculous. But also, Ed would, like, sit at a table. Ed had money problems, okay? Yeah. Well, he had gambling problems. He had gambling problems. Yeah. So he would be losing thousands and thousands of yeah. dollars, like, at these tables. So he would sit at a table for, like, 10 hours at a time. Yeah. And thousands would be gone. And he had his guy, Johnny Vegas, that was, like, paying these, like, fancy women to be around him all the time too. Like Ed sucks. Yeah, some Ed family man. I know. Some Bible thumping family <laughs> man, Ed in Vegas with the Playboy bunnies, which is fine if you're a Playboy bunny. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. like, yeah. Ed is not a good guy. So remember Joe Gray, the, yeah. the Bible study dude? He yeah. gave Ed a job when he was down on his luck. A lifeline, he called it. A lifeline. Turns out Ed stole a shit ton of money from Joe. $2.5 million. Ed, the Christian family man, embezzled $2.5 million. And then left before anybody noticed. Yeah. But so then. And he, then, like, doesn't really get in trouble for it. So he pleads guilty to embezzlement. And he's like, well, okay, fine. If yeah. I pay you back $700,000. Of the 2.5, how is that agreed to? Yeah, he's like, could I avoid prison time? Like, if like I You know be... what? Actually, that's a great idea. Yes, you absolutely could. But you have to do it in like two years. Yeah. So now the clock is ticking right. and he owes $700,000 and he's losing tens of thousands by the night in Vegas. Be exactly. So if you're not getting...
getting the picture we're painting for you guys, Ed is completely desperate. Right. I don't know if it said now or later, but I'm going to say it now. We learn that Chris finds out that Ed was fucking stealing from the company. Right. So, like, this is the big thing. This guy is in a ton of fucking debt. He's stealing from the company. Chris finds out about it. Like, and then we don't know what happens, except there's a huge bloody stain outside of Chris's office and blood all over the ceiling and the fucking walls. Right. So the cops are and like... Chris has been missing for a year. For a year. So yeah. the cops are like, let's talk to this Ed character again. Yeah. They pull him in. The cops start asking him about Chris. And Ed's like, I'm not involved at all. Yes, we used to fight, but it would just be verbal. I don't know what you're talking about. He's gone. I don't know, I don't know nothing. And then Ray told him, well, guess what? You're under arrest for murder. This happened so fast. I was like, wait, wait what? And like, then they leave the room. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to let him think. Totally. So then, I don't know how long they have him just, It's pro- it felt like an eternity probably yeah. for Ed. It was yeah. probably 10 seconds. They go back in. Ed Shin has an entirely new story. He's like, okay, I'm going to talk. I don't know what you guys are thinking, but it's definitely not first degree murder. Yeah. And also, if I keep talking, am I going to go to jail? To which I say, well, let's see, Ed. And that's what they say. He says to the cops, if I tell you what I know, do I still have to go to prison? And they're like, well, I guess it depends on what you know, girl. What do you know? So he says, yes, I killed Chris in the office, but it was self-defense. He says, Chris would come unglued. Remember my story about coming into the office on June 4th and it would smell like piss and vomit and yeah. he was out of his mind. He said, So I took him to Vegas. So I took him to Vegas. Idiot. He's like, he lunged at me. He attacked me. He grabbed me. He, we were throwing each other around. I pushed him off me. He fell backwards onto his desk where he hit his head and like fell to the floor and didn't immediately die. He just like lay there dying. And there was so much blood, yeah. says Ed. And Ed's like, I didn't mean to kill him, but yes, he's dead. Yes. So now now the cops are like, all right, well, now we have to tell the family that this is what happened. So they go and they tell the family. And of course, everybody wants the body. And they go back to Ed and they're like, girl, tell us where the body is. I want to find Chris's body. His family wants to find his body. We need we need that information. Ed. <sighs> I wouldn't know. There's no way. I wouldn't know that. Didn't know, he said, because somebody else got rid of the body. And then Keith's like. But then the investigators got Ed's phone records and... Well, well. And well, well. (laughs) Ed is adamant that he had nothing to do with the disposing of the body. He doesn't know where it is. Someone else got rid of the body. Yeah, and we'll get that story in a second. But he says... Those same phone records showed him going all the way out to um, Boulevard, California, and Ocotillo, California, which is in the middle of the desert near the Mexican border. The phone records show that Ed, at two times in the days after Chris's murder, was in the middle of the fucking California desert right at the Mexico border. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to be there. And, like, he was pinged out there at, like, two in the morning. Yes. This is where Keith gets super dramatic, living, like, his little cowboy western fantasy, because he's like, There are holes out there somewhere. Every lawman around knows it. Places where the bones of terrible crimes lie under the sand, undiscovered, their tales untold. Places where the bones of terrible crimes lie under the sand undiscovered. <laughs> the tales untold. Just like Keith. there are just dead bodies in the I fucking know. desert. And there are. And there like are. all over the desert. I watch Breaking Bad. There of are course. bodies everywhere. 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 Yeah. And they're like the family is begging for answers from Ed. He gives them nothing. Ed finally goes on trial seven years after the murder. And we meet prosecutor Matt Murphy, oh who I also think Keith has a little bit of a crush on. Prosecutor and surfer Matt Murphy. Yes. Matt. He's perfect for the job because he's also a surfer. Also, Ed could like understand Chris. Totally. Yeah. Matt is perfect for the job because he hates Ed. Like yeah. he <laughs> hates Ed. And I think Keith has a little bit of a crush on him because Keith also hates Ed. Yeah. So like they are they are kindred in that and he, way. Because he Keith says to Matt, he's like, tell me like what was so bad about this crime. And he's like, this case was about greed at its most diabolical and base form. He killed a really nice guy over money. 
so that he could go gambling in Vegas. This crime was about greed in the most diabolical form. Somebody yep. else says diabolical. It's another 17 cents yep. to Keith Cha-ching. <laughs> he says he killed a really nice guy over money so he could go gambling in Vegas. And then he tortures the family for a year with, with the these emails. emails. Yeah. But then, like, minutes after the murder, this is when Ed starts with the emails from Chris to, like, their associates, their colleagues, their lawyers. And this is where, okay, because what's happening is they're saying this murder was premeditated. That, again, Chris found out that Ed was stealing and Ed had to kill him over it. And so he pre-wrote these communications. They're saying what happened was we know when Chris died and we also know that these communications were sent like minutes later. And they're long businessy emails about yeah. buyouts and, and to lawyers. And there's a spelling mistake or an error in punctuation. And Matt, the attorney, is like, he had to have written those before he killed him. Yes. He knew he was going to kill him. This was a premeditated murder. He also emails the staff to work from home. We're going to yes. get a makeover. You yes. know, there's going to be, you know, the painters and the tarps just stay home. And Christina's like, all right, I'm sleeping in. So, and then he starts emailing the family. Yeah. And remember Kenny, the guy who moved into Chris's apartment yes. and was basically like becoming Chris? He's testifying against Ed. And he's like, oh yeah, uh, Ed hired me to get rid of all of Chris's stuff, including all of his fucking surfboards. I'm like, yeah. I thought he went on a surf trip. And that's what Matt, the lawyer, is saying. Any surfer, and most especially a surfing DA, knows you don't head out on a surfing trip and leave your boards behind. There's a whole laundry list mm. that anybody that's ever done a surf trip knows. And Ed Shin didn't. Every surfer knows they have a checklist of things they would never leave home without if they're going on a surf trip. Their surfboard being one of them. And this guy, Kenny, is like, the first thing that Ed made me get rid of was the surfboard. I love Matt. Yeah. But you don't have to be a surfer to know that you take your surfboards on a surf trip. I Matt, I love you. I I'm sure like know, there, are, there are other things to bring, but Matt. So Ed, the business owner slash murderer, his whole thing is deny, deny, deny. He takes the stand, which like never happens in a fucking murder trial. But as, he takes Keith, as Keith says, how could he resist? <laughs> this guy's a fucking narcissist. <laughs> totally. And he just says, like, you know, on the stand that on June 4th, the day that Chris died, they got into a big fight. Chris grabbed him by the neck. And that was the thing that made him, like, throw him off him with such force that he hit his head on the desk and died. Because Ed is saying that, remember that embezzlement scheme with Joe, the Bible guy, yeah. that Chris was also in on it? So yeah. now he's just trying to bring Chris down with him and saying, we got in this fight. We were both wrong. We right. were both yeah, wrong yeah, yeah, we got yeah. in this fight. So it was this, as Keith says. What followed, Ed told the court, was a monumental brawl. Blood was everywhere. Yeah. They're lunging at each other. And the lawyer's like, then where is your blood, Ed? Ed's that's, blood wasn't anywhere. Right. And that's the big gotcha moment from Matt, the surfer lawyer. If you guys are having this big, huge fight where you're crashing into each other in midair, mm -hmm. yet it's only Chris's blood and so much of Chris's blood. And it's not just by where he would have hit his head on the desk. It's, it's on the ceiling. It's in the other room. Yeah. It's on the fucking ceiling tile. Like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And again, Matt is out to fucking destroy Ed Shin. Yeah. Like, he's out to destroy him. So he even, he says to Keith. He is a horrible lamentable, huh. disgraceful human being. The horrible, lamentable, disgraceful human being. <laughs> and Matt, like, on the stand, is just catching Ed in all of these lies. And at one point, Ed starts to fake cry. Yeah. And Matt's like, Are you tearing up a little bit right now? I'm okay, sir. Okay. Were you tearing up when you wrote that email to Debbie Smith saying that her son was committing suicide or suggesting that he was going to do that? Were you tearing up when you did that? Yes. Okay. You were actually at the computer tearing up as you were going to break a mother's heart by essentially blaming her for the death of her son. That was making you feel sad? Were you tearing up then? Oh my Ed? God, it's brutal. And Ed's like, no, sir. <laughs> Ed sucks. <laughs> 
So yeah, I mean, at the end of the trial, Ed is found guilty after like no time at all. The jury deliberates for a minute. 20 minutes. They're like, obviously, oh my God. Yeah. He's found guilty. What does he get? Does he get life? He gets life in prison without the possibility of parole. Bye. Which is important, but bye. Remember, we don't know where the fucking body is. And Ed won't talk. Won't talk. And Keith is determined to find the fucking body once and for all. So he goes to see Ed in jail. Keith is sitting down. Ed is in prison. Keith's on the other side of the window I or whatever. I can't believe that Ed agreed to this interview. I know. But Ed is infuriating because Keith is just like, all I need is like a, a place, a name. Like, yeah. Ed, can you just give me anything? And Ed's just like, it's not something I can do. And then he's like, oh, it's so easy for you, Keith. It's so easy for everyone else. And Keith's like, what? Yeah, it is. We're because all murderers. The, the whole thing that's happening here is Keith keeps saying to him, then maybe you could explain why it's impossible for you to give us the answer. I mean, it's one or the other. Either I can answer the question or I can tell you why I can't. If you can't tell us where the body is, tell us why you can't right. tell us where the body is. And Ed and is just like word salad. He doesn't make any sense. He's like, I can't give you, like, I can't answer. I can't answer any of those questions. Ed says to him, I know it would be a coup de grace for you to get the answer out of me. Meaning. Like you want the scoop. It'd be a big scoop. You have to tell them what Keith says. Keith goes, and he doesn't yell it. No. He's very calm about it. And he goes, the That would be a, a coup de grace for you to, to unearth Ed, I don't give a sweet of- flying but that I don't. I don't care. Ed, I don't give a sweet flying fuck about that. <laughs> I really don't. What do you think happened behind the camera when Keith said that? <gasps> I think like like shoulders up laughing. Like we got him. Like he finally you cause you know Keith's yeah. on five thousand episodes totally of Daylight. Good. How many murderers has he spoken to? Like he we finally got him yeah. and that's Keith like snapping. <laughs> saying, I don't give a sweet flying fuck. And yeah. he's like, Ed, you're infuriating. He's like, you're, you're a parent. What you did yeah. to these people was horrible. They want closure. It's like, the most you're... infuriating interview because he's not, he won't tell them where the body is and he won't tell them why he won't. And Keith is like, are you saying someone's going to hurt your family? And Ed literally says, no, that's not no. why. And he's like, okay, well, so is it about protecting them? No. Is it about this? No. And I think what Ed really wants is that this air of like, there's some secret. He's so dangerous. I just don't think he can really own up to the fact that, yeah, he killed this guy and he buried him. I mean, he's, it's life without parole. So nothing more, nothing worse can happen to him. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not going to just kill him. Yeah. It's just so, and like even Keith, Keith like won't raise his voice. He won't let Ed get the better of him, but you can tell Keith is frustrated. And he's like, well, I guess we're at an impasse here, Ed. Like you're not going to say, I'm asking you what the answer is. You're not going to tell me. You're also not going to tell me why you can't tell yeah. me. Like, I'm going to go. Yeah, bye. Like, what am I doing here? It's I cocktail know. hour. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so, like, Ed, like, did this all to himself. He totally knows where Chris is. I hate yeah. Ed. He's infuriating. And then it ends with, like, you know, Chris doesn't have a final resting place, right? right? So there's no real closure. And so Keith tells us about this paddle out ceremony that surfers do when, yeah. like, one of their own, like, one of their friends passes away. And, like, they have this really beautiful ceremony. And Keith, you know, makes it about how he's just out there with the ocean that he really loved. But meanwhile, you can feel Keith like, I hate Ed so much. Even as he's trying to say this beautiful voiceover, there's something, he's like, that fucking Ed. You're not cool, Ed. You're not some tough guy. Why can't you? That's just something a man doesn't do. Fuck off, Ed. Keith cursed. Oh, I love it. Dayline, what was this one called? In a Lonely Place. In a Lonely Place. It was a real interesting story. I'm sorry for the family. I'm sorry, you guys. It's so sad. It's so sad, but Keith cursed. He Keith cursed. He, he lost it. That's yeah. Keith losing it. <laughs> I'll give a sweet flying fuck. You guys, join us on the Patreon if you want more Jillian and me. It's like over 270 full ad-free bonus episodes to download and binge right now. You get one a week, every week for the rest of your life, you guys. Oh my god, yeah. And then if you join right now, there are like almost 300 just waiting yeah. for you. It's like, that's like two months worth of content if you listen 24 
straight hours a day. Wow. I know. That's amazing. <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you for making this our jobs and for hanging out with us and yeah. for listening to the shenanigans and being here. We're obsessed. We're obsessed. We love you. Thank you so, so much. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I don't mean to belabor the point, but like, are we certain that Chris was into women? Yes. Okay. Well, or... or <laughs> It's none of my business. I'm just saying. It was a funny thing to be like, bro, you're listening to Madonna. Okay, great. He booked a 23-day surfing vacation in Haiti. Chris picked up- Tahiti. I don't know why I corrected you. It doesn't matter. You're right, though. I have Tahiti. (laughs) My brain did that thing where it changed all the letters on me. My brain does that sometimes, too. You need a fucking Vixer to get a reservation at STK Vegas. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Use open table like the rest of us. You need a fixer for a reservation at Budokan Vegas. I, you know? Use open table like the rest of us, again, exactly. I say. It's not that hard. 